name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today, my beloved, is the first Sunday of the month of Abib, and all of the readings of this month, they focus on how the Lord aids those who serve Him. How the Lord aids those who serve Him in the ministry. And the reading today give us some instructions or insight um, as to when the Lord sent out His 70 disciples uh, to minister to the world. Yesterday in the uh, Vespers Gospel was when He sent out the 12. Uh, so in chapter Luke 9, He sends out the 12, and then in Luke 10, He sends out the 70. And this ministry that He sent His disciples to preach the Gospel or the Good News was not something that was only limited to the 12 and to the 70. But this was something that was supposed to be for all the believers to go out and to share this message. If we think about it, we're all here and we consider ourselves Christians. Christians means we bear His name, right? Christ. We are the people of Christ. So because we bear His name, He puts on us the responsibility of sharing His gospel message or the good news to the whole world. If you pay attention at the end of the liturgy, there's a little dialogue that happens right before we're all dismissed. So after we say, Amin Alleluia, Abuna says, Bechristos ben Noti. Anybody know what this means? Hmm? The ones who attend in the English. Hmm? Christ our God. So Abuna is saying, O Christ our God, and the people respond and say what? Amin? Es Eshobi, which means? Amin, so be it. Like we agree. So Abuna is declaring that Christ is our God. And the people affirm and say, yes, He's our God, so be it. And then what, what does Abuna say immediately after that? He says, O King of Peace, grant us your peace and establish for us your peace. So we're concluding the liturgy and we're leaving with this idea of, Lord, grant us your peace and establish your peace within us. So then when we go out to the rest of the world, we share with them what? His peace. This is why in the reading today, he told them when you enter a house, the first thing you say is what? Peace to this house. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So this, my beloved, is the ministry is something that's not only for Abuna or for the servants or, you know, but it's for everyone. It's for everyone if we call ourselves Christians. Um, so we learn a few things about what we need to know when we share this gospel message to the rest of the world. Number one is the preparation. The Lord began this chapter when He sends them out. He says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them out two by two before His face into every city and place where He Himself was about to go. So He took the 70 and divided them in pairs. You know, it's always easier to, you know, to to share a message when there's two. Because you have that support, right? When somebody, you know, is stuck or can't answer or can't do anything, we have another person who can help. So he sends them out in these groups of two. And he tells them to go to the place before he himself is going there. So they're going to prepare the people to receive who? To receive Christ, right? It's almost like, you know, if we have a visitor coming to our home, and maybe our parents invited somebody over, and we don't know them before, or we don't know them. And they say, uh, who's coming over? And they say, so-and-so's coming over. And the first thing we say, okay, do they have any kids? What do they like? What do they like to eat? Do they like to do something? So we get to know them. Why? So we can prepare for their visit. So the Lord told the disciples to go to the places before He Himself goes 
to prepare the people to receive Him. Right? So, is the ministry about the disciples or the apostles or is it about Christ? It's about Christ. Right? It's about Christ. Preparing the people to receive Christ. It's not about the servants. It's not about the disciple. But it's about the people accepting Christ. It's about connecting the people with uh, Christ. So the Lord sent them out and He told them, and doing this process, He called it teaching. Right? Go teach them. So this teaching was preparing them to receive Him. To teach them maybe about the prophecies and what to know about the Messiah and what to expect. So when they see Christ, they say, yes, He's the one. Right? And this idea of teaching is the primary responsibility of each household. In the early church, there was no Sunday school, right? Because the church, the families were responsible for this primarily. How are they responsible? They're responsible uh, by teaching them the the church doctrine and also um, the um, the scripture. Don't worry about it. they they protect the church, but don't worry about them. Any Archangel Michael keeps them there, but don't worry about them. Okay. Um, so it's uh, our primary responsibility is to teach the life of the church to our children and to teach them how to read scripture and how to understand scripture. This is the parents' responsibility. The church's responsibility is to support this and to perhaps guide the parents in how to teach their children. But the primary responsibility relies on the children. This is why you'll find, regardless of how much you know the church you know does and serves. But if the family isn't doing this individually on their own, you know, it's kind of like 50-50 if the children go astray or not. But if both, if they do both, then you have a high chance the children will not go astray. And this is why, again, a lot of times, maybe during the baptismal prayers, the parents are in a kind of uh, involved with dressing the child, taking pictures, and they're not paying attention to the prayers, nor are they paying attention to the vow. At the end of the service, though, Abuna reads a vow that is an instruction to the parents. I'll read it to you, uh, some of it briefly now. He says, Now, my beloved, understand that you have received your child from the holy, pure, and spiritual baptism. So the Lord is saying here, or the church is saying, the, the child came out pure and holy, and the church is giving him back to you as the parent. And that God will ask you about them if you neglect them and their discipline and their restoration from unacceptable circumstances. So he's saying, the church is giving the child back to you, but one day the God is going to ask you about this child. How did you discipline them? How did you keep them from going to unsuitable places uh, and their discipline? Be diligent in teaching them and keeping the church to keep the church laws and apostolic commands. So it's the responsibility of the parents to teach them the apostolic commands, the life of the church, and about the holy scriptures. And this is so critical nowadays, because more than it was in the in the old day. You know, in the old day before the age of the internet and all of this stuff. The primary area of influence for our children was the family and the immediate community. So you had kind of like your family and your tribe, the people who you're close with. And that was it. And there are, they only needed to seek approval from your, the parents, the family, and their immediate friends. But this is not the case anymore. 
And this is not the case. Anybody who has a device in their hand, they immediately feel the pressure of gaining the approval of not only their immediate circle, but almost the whole world. And when they step out of line, out of whatever is normal to other people, they feel the pressure, they're you know bashed online, they're ostracized from social media and so on. So they feel this pressure. And they feel like they have to fulfill this. So it, it's you know so much needed now more than any time before that the families or uh, you know that we really care for um, uh, uh, the the teaching of the children so it's not just the teaching but also setting the example we can teach the child about how to be kind how to be patient and how to love but then as we're saying this if this isn't translated in a behavior that i have you know, if I'm yelling and screaming and I tell the child, okay, we need to be calm and kind, then what? How do I answer that I hear? The child will learn what I do, not what I say, right? So it needs modeling. And I tell you, you no know, parent's perfect and I'm the first, you know, to say, we all need work and help. But as long as we acknowledge, you know what? You know, I wasn't right. I shouldn't have yelled. This is how, how we shouldn't, you know, behave. Then we all grow together. And the child understands, okay, there's a law of God that even supersedes what Mama and Baba say. Where Mama and Baba, they kind of, they submit to this. So the whole family will submit to this. And the whole family will grow together. So there needs to be a standard or an example that we strive to set. The second thing we learned from the Lord sending out the 70 was that the harvest will always outnumber the laborers. And this is the dilemma. There's always there's going to be a need greater than it can be fulfilled by the laborers. That's why the Lord said, pray that the Lord that uh, the laborers are sent. This doesn't only speak to the need of the laborers, although this is an obvious need, but it also speaks to the fact that the harvest, which is those who desire the truth and those who desire God, is always great. Sometimes we're met with this, or we have this pessimistic ideology where no one wants to know God. Who cares? No one even cares. No one even talks about it. So why say anything? This is very wrong. The harvest is always great. Despite all what we see online, the harvest is great. There are many people who are thirsty to know the truth and to know God. And mind you, this is not only the simple people. Even the scholarly people, the philosophers, those who think and those who have high positions, just because they have a high position or they're smart doesn't mean they understand the truth and they know the way of salvation, right? Maybe the way in which we connect with them is different. Maybe on one, you know, level, the simple we connect, you know, um, socially and economically and maybe for the intellectual we connect maybe mentally. But it's the same. There's still this thirst. The harvest is truly great. And we shouldn't ever lose sight of that. Because if we say, okay, well, the harvest isn't great anymore, then why do we need laborers? And sometimes we use this just as a cop-out, because I don't want to go, or I don't want to talk. But the labor, the harvest is always great. The third thing we learn is that the lambs uh, will be sent among wolves. The wolves are those who seek to frighten and devour those who follow the truth and the Lord. Those who oppose the truth will always criticize, defame, and perhaps harm those who bear the truth. And this is the reality. And again, if we refer back to the social media and all of these different online platforms, this is so much more 
of a threat. Why? Because people are much courageous, more courageous to say something and bash someone online and berate them and ostracize them because there's no really consequence for that person. But if you ever ask somebody, okay, to say, you know, when they make some of these mean comments that are online, would they say this in front of the person? Nine times out of ten, the answer would be no. Because there would be a confrontation, right? That perhaps I don't want to have. But if I just send it online, there's really no confrontation. They're going to send back a word. I don't care what they say. I'm just going to say, you know, something mean and harmful, right? So, this is to be expected. When we say the truth, the people will tell us, you know, call us different names. But you know what? If I know that what I'm saying is the truth, then why do I care what people say about me? If they want to call me transphobic, if they want to call me a hater, if they want to call me a bigot, that's okay. They can call me that. Why is it that I really value and care what they think of me? I don't. I'm here to say the truth. If you like it, so be it. If you don't and you want to call me names and label me, that's okay. Do you think they didn't do that with the Lord Jesus? Oh, they did it, right? And they did it in his face, not simply online. They did it in his face. And that they only didn't do this, but they also crucified him for it, right? So that's okay if people call us names. But I'm not going to change the truth in what I believe simply because people are going to call me names. So let's be a little bit courageous and say the truth regardless of what people think. And my beloved, this is freedom. This is going to be freedom. When I'm free from their, you know, their words and their criticisms of me, this makes me free in Christ. As long as I know the truth and I live by the truth, then I'm free in Christ. I don't need to worry about what people say about me and the names that they call me. Remember what the Lord said. He said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. But there's a paradox here. Or there's there's an asterisk. Because we said the Lord's sending them among the wolves. The lamb among the wolves. And if these wolves are the people that hate us and try to squash the truth, these same people that hated Christ, or the world we can say, the same world that might hate Christ is the very world that he desires to save. Is the very world that he's coming to save. He's on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So we never should, never should forget this. Because we should, sometimes we get in our mind, we're going to label them as wolves. And because they're wolves, I hate the wolves. Once we label them as wolves and that we hate them, we will never desire to save them then we've strayed off the path of being a Christian. So we don't want to label anyone as wolves. They're, they might look at us and hate us, but we will still return their hatred with love. And perhaps this is the way that we win them. And this is how Christ won many, how the saints won many. The Lord said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the very world that hates me. The third, the fourth thing we understand is that we must remain focused as we speak about uh, Christ. He said, carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. What does this mean? The money bag, money is a, sometimes a sense of security, right? So I'm going on a trip, and I don't know what I'm going to encounter, so I'm going to take with me some money with me. Before we had credit cards and all of this, people would do this. If they're going on a journey, they would carry maybe more money than they usually would carry 
just in case they needed something on the road. So the Lord's saying, don't carry any money bags. Let your security be with me as you go out and speak, right? And you go out and share your experiences with others with, uh, with Christ and how He transformed your life. Don't worry about all of this security and how you will uh, calculate the cost. The knapsack is what they usually put food in, right? So again, he's telling the disciples, don't worry about your sustenance. Your sustenance will come from me. This is why he told them, when you go into a house, eat whatever is served for you because the laborer is worthy of his wages. Because he told them not to go with any food. But when you go and you preach and your place accepts you, then eat whatever they give you there. And that food will be from me as I will you know, support you in your ministry. And this is very clear. There's an interesting story, a beautiful story, in Daniel chapter 14. It's part of the apocryphal writings. If you remember, Daniel was in the lion's den the first time that we all read about in the Bible. But in the apocryphal writings in Daniel 14, if you go in the Protestant Bible that you have, Daniel only has 12 chapters. Chapter 13 is the story of Susanna, and then chapter 14 is the story that I'm speaking about here. There was a story of, uh, of like an idol that the people worshipped, and they had a priest and so on, and they would give a lot of food to these idols, and they thought the idols ate the food. So Daniel's telling them, no, they're not eating it, they're stone, they're, like, they're statues, they don't eat anything. You know, so he's like, okay, prove it to us. So he went into this room where they had the idol, and they put like ashes, right? But the people didn't know it. The priests didn't know it. Uh, and then he put ashes. And then at night, they put the food in. They spread the ashes, leveled it so it's nice and smooth. And then the priests and their families came. And they came and ate all the food that was in there in and, and, and one night. And then they left. So he brought the king in. The king said, oh, see, the food is gone. And Dana said, no, 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 wait a minute. Look at the ashes. And he saw all the footsteps of people. So he got very angry. And the people knew this. And they wanted to... Um, uh, Get, they, they were upset with Daniel before all of this happened, so they threw him in the lion's den. In the midst of the lion's den for the second time, Daniel, was, this was the second time, he knew what, what happens. So he goes into the lion's den, and then the first time nothing happens. He stays all night in the lion's den, and then he comes out the next day. The king takes him out. This time he goes into the lion's den, and then in, uh, in, uh, in Daniel 14.34, the Lord, uh, uh, an angel, the Lord sends an angel to appear to Habakkuk, who's in Israel, and uh, Daniel's in Babylon. And he says, carry your meal. So the prophet was making a meal for himself. And he says, carry your meal with you that you have into Babylon to Daniel, who is in the den. So he tells Habakkuk, okay, you see the meal that you have? Take it and go to Babylon. And Habakkuk has no idea where Babylon is and where Daniel is. So he tells him, I have no idea where Daniel is and who he is. So he says, okay. And it says in uh, verse 36, he says, And the angel of the Lord seized him by the top of his head, carried him by the hair of his head, and set him in Babylon over the den by the force of his spirit. So the angel took the, his own prophet, Kidam and Rasul, and took him all the way to Daniel in the lion's den. Why? Because Daniel was hungry. Daniel was hungry. Again, God. But you see, Daniel was being faithful and ministering to him. And even maybe what was not on the mind of Daniel, the Lord sent to him a meal while he was in the middle of the lion's den. And of course, the lions did nothing, nor did they eat the food that Habakkuk brought either. <clears throat> he tells them to, um, to don't take another pair of sandals, and sandals are what protects us from the ground. So he says to them, I'll be your protection, don't worry. 
And then he tells, greet no one along the road. This sometimes is difficult because if you think about it, if they're going to share the gospel message, they have to greet people, right? They have to say, hello, how are you? I have something to share to you. There has to be some kind of greeting. But this doesn't mean greeting in the time like a salutation, but it means greeting as forming a relationship that is like close and intimate. So he's telling them, I don't want the relationships that you form to distract you from the mission, from the goal. Sometimes, you know, when we end gatherings or we have any kind of service, we have some things that distract us from the mission or the target of the goal. And this can happen in many different services. All of the services that we do, for example, here in the church, they should be geared towards some kind of spiritual edification. Even if it's just the sports, for playing sports, is it just simply to entertain the kids and for us to have fun? It's not. Right? Maybe this is what we think, but it's not. It's to, you know, show an example of how godly and healthy competition can look like in a healthy and clean atmosphere. So when we go out and we play sports at school or other places, we know how we should behave and we should compete, right? It should never get to a point where I'm, you know, getting violent because of what I'm playing, right? And part of this is what we teach, right? Or we should be teaching. If we think that this sports is just for entertainment, we've lost the mission. We've lost the focus, right? The same thing for maybe any community service. If we're doing some service out in the community, is it simply just to give people food and drink and water? Yes, this is a good thing. But at the end of the day, the food and water and clothing are not going to save them. Because we give them food, they're going to get hungry tomorrow. We give them clothing, it's going to wear out after a year. right? But the mission is, there must be the gospel message, sharing of this gospel message. Even the children's ministries. right? Again, is it just to entertain the kids, have something fun? Or is there a mission to teach them something about the life of the church or scripture? Last, the second, or the, the fifth thing is that he asked the disciples to be agents of peace. And he said, whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. We need to be these agents of peace. And how are we agents of peace? Number one is we ourselves have to be peaceful. Alright? What do I mean by we have to be peaceful? We have to like peace. You know, Fina Eskida? Behebbun naked. Alright? There's somebody they're upset with and then finally they make up with this person, they find somebody else to be upset with or to fight with or to be angry with. Right? So if I want to be, if I want to share the gospel with anybody, I have to enjoy peace. I have to like peace. I don't like, you know, the fighting and the strife everywhere. And this begins in our home. Even if I'm the child, as the child in the home, I can still make the home an unpeaceful place. All right? Much so, more so, the adults. Do I like peace? Am I willing to sacrifice for peace? Right? So if I want to share the gospel of peace, I myself must enjoy peace. And also I must be a peacemaker. I must be a person who likes to reconcile people together. Not to put a wedge between people. Oh, did you hear what so-and-so said about you? Oh yeah, I can't believe they said that. What does this do? This puts a wedge between people. It's not a peacemaker. I can't share the gospel message and share the peace of Christ that I took from church and go share it with them and I'm causing wedges. Am I trying to bind or am I trying to divide? Right? So we have to be peacemakers. Be pe- let people be reconciled with one another, not stirring up quarrels. And this is even online. 
we can, you know, maybe in, 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 in person we like to let people make up, but online we like to start quarrels by our comments. We'll say something just to start an argument between two people, just because we think this is fun. Again, this is not being a peacemaker. He told them also to heal the sick. Yes, they were endowed with the gift of physically hearing, healing the sick. But the Lord, when he told them, listen to what he said, he says, heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So he's saying that the agent of healing is the message that the kingdom of God has come near to you. So, yes, there are many people that are physically sick, but there are more people who are spiritually sick. And this is what he wanted them to understand and to focus on. Yes, you have the power to heal the sick physically. But you know what? Most of the servants now, we don't have this ability to heal the sick. But we do have the ability to preach the kingdom of heaven to them, to hear, to heal their souls. Oftentimes when people are sick and they call a buna and we go and we pray for them, the first thing they think is, I want a buna to heal me, or I want a buna to pray for me so I can be well. It's not about, okay, what about my repentance? What about my confession? What about preparing for the day that I'll meet the Lord? Abuna, when you come and give me communion because I'm sick, I want you also to take my confession. So I can be pure and I can be ready. Right? So again, this is the message of healing, the kingdom. This is for your salvation. The last and final thing he says to them is this warning. And he says, whatever city you enter and they don't receive you, go into its streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. So he's saying the kingdom of God has come near to you and you rejected the kingdom. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. So the message here is twofold. It's, it's a warning one, and it's also a message of hope. How is it a message of hope? You think of this sometimes maybe as a servant, so you'll say, okay, I did so and so, and they rejected my word. Minnu Right? Just leave him. And then we better say, okay, may God condemn you. And we want, they have this idea. And maybe you might even say, okay, I'm going to leave and I'm going to start shaking off the dust of my feet as a way of cursing them. When the Lord told them to do this, the idea here was not to pronounce a judgment on them right then. But it was for them to be warned that there is a judgment. And if you continue in the rejection, this will happen to you. But the door was always open. So what if somebody said, as they were leaving, and they saw the disciples, you know, you know, hitting their feet as this kind of rejection, or they were pronouncing to them that they rejected the Lord, and then they come back and say, forgive us, I'm sorry, we've sinned. Of course, Al-Habibi, sure. So the purpose is to give them hope, to warn them, but it's also coupled with hope. Because it's our, not our duty to judge now. The Lord said He came to save the world now. The judgment is for the final day. But the warnings are here so that we can repent and change, so that when the day comes, we won't be those people who will be worse off than Sodom and Gomorrah. May God grant us uh, any, that when we share this message of peace, we we do so. And we said today that he told the disciples to prepare the people to receive him. It's not about the servant, but it's about Christ. Remember that the harvest will always outnumber the laborers. 
but there's always a harvest. Don't be pessimistic and say that no one cares and no one wants to listen. This is far from the truth. Number three is that we'll always be lambs among wolves, but just as they hated Christ, they hate us, but we need to be courageous. Remain focused on the mission. Don't, you know, veer off. It's about our salvation and those around us. We need to be agents of peace to share peace, and we're here to heal the sick. Those who are sick are uh, in spirit are many. And lastly, the warning is for our repentance and a message of hope. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.